risk. This is my new podcast, and it's also me taking a risk, because I've made radio before, but I've always worked with a team of other people. This time, it's just me making all the decisions and all the mistakes, and there's nobody there to say, wouldn't it work better if we did this? So everything that goes wrong with it is entirely my fault. Uh, Let's see what happens. Every episode is a conversation with somebody or a few people who have a particular angle on risk. In this episode, I'm talking to an engineer about bricks, bicycles and why railway bridges don't fall down. We start this episode under a bridge with... Bill Harvey, I've been a civil engineer for 50 odd years. Um, So I'm an old man and I get employed to do things that old men can do because they have seen a lot and they've thought a lot about stuff. We're under Blackfriars Bridge, which was built by Victorian engineers to carry railway lines across the River Thames in central London. But over a hundred years later, somebody else wants to build a shiny new station on top of the old wrought iron bridge, and they want to know if the old bridge will be strong enough to support the new station. So they go to Bill and say... Can we analyse this and can we prove the analysis is right? And you might want to throw it at a computer, which is actually quite expensive. And the people who did it to start with couldn't do that. Well, no, they didn't have computers. They didn't have computers. Whenever it was, 18-something. But it's sort of okay, isn't it? It seems to be working. But then when it comes to now, the engineer worries about his PI insurance and whether he can be sure that it's... What's PI insurance? Professional indemnity. Right. So can he be confident that... And what sort of confidence can he have that it's behaving right? Reading a Victorian bridge with an expert eye turns out to be an art more than a science. Bill is part detective, reconstructing the design and construction process, and part craftsman with a hands-on knowledge of how materials respond under stress. There's a web here which isn't very far from this edge, so it is indeed a box, so that's a double arch. Um, But the flange, the piece nearest to us, is probably four or five sheets of wrought iron riveted together. And then when the arch bends a bit, as the train goes past, they all sort of work together, but we're not sure how well they work together. So they must wiggle quite a lot, to use a technical term. Yes, that's right. Why not use a technical term? They wiggle a bit. And if you want to measure what's happening, well, you can't really. You can take a sort of average. You can measure over maybe half a metre and say, well, over half a metre it's doing this much. But in between these rivets, the individual plates are going to be doing this sort of thing. and, and Flexing and bending. I've never been so aware of the sound of a train going over yeah, my head yeah. and hoping that all these thousands can, of rivets I mean, are still If the fine. train goes over and you put your hand against that, you'll feel it vibrate and you may even feel it move. No, that's sort of fine, <laughs> but but there are you know, all these different levels of risk. The engineers who were building this in the first place knew what they could understand and what they couldn't, and they made allowances for what they couldn't. And then a twentieth, twenty-first century engineer comes back to us and says, 
but actually now we can analyse that and I would say, well, can you? And in the end, somebody bit on it and said, OK, we'll go ahead and we'll build a station on top. And no. it seems to be working. So that's <laughs> fine, isn't it? Yeah, well, is it though? I mean, they, for me, as a person who regularly stands in that station and goes, what a lovely station, what a nice yeah. view. It, it, I just assume that whoever built it, whoever decided to put the station on top, has checked that it will be safe. Well, they but have from, indeed. From your point of view, as somebody who has to check people's working and say, yeah. have you checked this and is this sunrise? Yeah, well, I don't get involved with this sort of bridge very often. I was briefly involved with discussing the measurements that were made to see whether the calculations were right. And basically I said, well, you can't because you can't measure what you need to measure. Uh, so you have to be a little bit careful, but people bite the bullet and do it. Is that a very typical engineering approach to risk then, that you say well, we can measure these things and we can calculate these things and then there's this other stuff that we can't really measure and so we're going to have to decide how much extra leeway we have to give ourselves to be an acceptable level of safety. Is, is that a usual approach? In civil engineering it's very much what has to be done because most things that are done are one-offs. You know, if you're going to build a car, then you can do all the sums and then you can go out and test 50 of them and say, yeah, they produce the same answer, so I can build 20,000 and it'll be all right. Um, and the same is to some extent true with aeroplanes. We're going to build lots of them so we can build a wing and we can test it to destruction. And if the answer we get is what we expect, then that gives us a good degree of confidence. With a bridge, you design it and you build it. And there's one, and it has to be safe. It doesn't have to be right, it has to be safe. What's the difference? The answer you get is most unlikely to be the truth if you do the analysis, because you're analysing something. And there's a lovely definition of structural engineering which says that it's about assessing stress in materials that we don't really understand, in shapes that we can't properly define, and it ends up in such a way that the general public have no way of knowing just how far away from understanding we are. <laughs> and, and yet here we are standing under one of these bridges and you seem perfectly relaxed. I mean, to be honest, I was relaxed until you started telling me all this stuff, but mostly, mostly. They, they don't fall down. So are we too hung up on having everything very precisely measured and calculated in advance? I think in some circumstances we are, and I think some, in some sense circumstances we believe that we can do the calculations and actually we can't because we sort of believe the numbers we put in and then believe the numbers that come out and forget about the fact that the numbers we put in are to plus or minus this much. And my business is masonry, old-fashioned bridges, and we don't know how, well, we do know how they were built if we think about it. We know that there wasn't a railway to bring the bricks on because they're building the railway. So if you want a million bricks for a viaduct, then you're not going to haul them very far. So most of them were made fairly close by with the best material they could find. And then when they come to pick them up, the bricklayers' labourers gather these bricks together and pile them up and they knock them together and this one goes bing and this one goes dunk so that one goes over there 
That's the dunk one. Yeah. Why, what's wrong with that one? Because that's not as strong as this one. And we don't want it left on the outside where it will weather away. So we'll build that into the middle. So we go and look at one of Let's your bridges. Let's go and look then. at one of mine. Do you yeah. found one nearby? Yeah. Not, not one that you actually built. No, not one that I actually built. It's older than me. You're not a Victorian. <laughs> I'm not a Victorian. <laughs> it's not surprising that Bill's found a brick viaduct just down the line from Blackfriars Station because there are miles and miles and miles of viaducts around London, millions of bricks. And the starting point is to say you can see how variable the ones you can see are, right? So there's one up there that's almost gone completely. Um, there are some that are fine, there are patches that have been completely replaced because, yeah. yeah. But what you're looking at is the best ones they could pick from the ones they had and everything hidden inside is definitely worse than what you can see. In terms of strength, so the weakest of these bricks is probably around one megapascal, not that that means anything very much, right? Well, so what does that mean? It means one million newtons per square meter. <laughs> and a newton is an apple and a millionth of a square millimeter is a square millimeter. So if you imagine an apple. Seriously, a, a newton is the force of an apple yes. falling. Didn't you know that? I never Isn't knew that. Isn't it lovely? That's Isn't it just an absolute delight? Yeah. <laughs> so we're looking at the railway bridge uh, and on all the talking... trains that have gone over it and the calculations that were done that are behind it still standing were done in apple equivalents. No, because when they were done, it was done in pounds and things like that in, uh. in, in old money, as I keep saying. <laughs> so the way they built it was to literally build like a wooden frame a wooden of the frame. inside of the arch mm -hmm. and then build the bricks on then it. Then stack the bricks on top. And yeah. then cross their fingers and take the wood away. Knock the wedges out with a great big hammer. Woof. Wow. That must have been a very occasionally high risk things got moment. embarrassing. <laughs> but not very often. So is there anything look at this this arch which is it's quite a big arch, I mean it's got a full size yeah. road going under it. Yeah. Is, is there anything about this that either tells you this brickwork is a bit iffy and you'd keep an eye on it or Actually, a layperson like me might be worried, but to your expert eye, it's fine. Well, what can we see? One thing we can see is that the wall above the arch is hanging just slightly over the edge of the arch, which is always interesting, because it oh. shouldn't be. Um, see, the next one isn't, but this one is. Oh, yeah. So the, Why, we ask ourselves? What, is it five layers of bricks yep. forming the arch, yep. and then the wall that starts yep. again. Yeah, so and, why is it? And up there, there's a little joggle in the arch, isn't there? Is there? It looks as though there might oh, be. Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah, it actually, yeah. a break in the line. Just a little bit of a sort of kink yeah. in the line. A kind of that bit between yes. where I guess the bottom of the railway line is and the top of the arch. It's very uneven. Very uneven. And there's something growing there. Well, has, is that a good sign or a bad sign? That is definitely a bad sign. You don't want things growing, do you? The trouble with um, Budlia, I mean, they're lovely, aren't they? And the butterflies love them. But they come from China and they grow on limestone. Does and that mean their roots are just going to go right through the mortar? And the roots just love the mortar. So they grow everywhere where they can get a grip. And 50 years ago, there were hundreds and hundreds of railwaymen walking the track and pulling out buddleia bushes and things like that. And now we don't do that anymore. No. And 
the price will have to be paid at some point. So what else can we see about this? Underneath the Buddleia there's water damage. There's, there's a patch of water damage there where the, the mortar is gone running down into the arch and then in the arch itself possibly there's mortar missing. But then we also see something here about risk that this space has been let out. Yeah, they're all rather beautiful. They're uh, all beautifully glazed, done. Glazed, mezzanine floors. And the arch has been lined with plastic. Yeah, is that a bad so that thing? when the water comes through, it runs down the outside and nobody can see. Oh, which but is not presumably the way it was designed. It's not really the way it was designed, and it means that it is absolutely impossible for the engineer to inspect it. Oh. So, if anything is going wrong behind there, the first we'll know about it is when that plastic starts to buckle and bend. At which point I imagine the tenants will be only too willing to take the plastic off and let the engineer have a look. Well, yes, but the, there are costs involved. On one level, we, the public, like to think, oh, engineers are, will go to any lengths to keep everything safe. And then we look mm. around and buildings don't fall down and aeroplanes mm. mostly stay up and, mm. and we think, good, that's the, what they're doing, they're mm. working. But from your point of view, presumably, there is always this weighing up thing of, well, OK, that looks like a small problem, but the bother and expense of investigating it now vastly outweighs the risk that it's going to be a problem. Well, that, that's... Yeah, one thing with the railways is, obviously, the bother and expense of closing the railway is massive. So the resistance to saying this isn't safe is really quite huge. So when Bill did have to break the bad news that in his expert view, one particular bridge was so unsafe it should be closed. The reaction was? Uh, it was quite interesting. It took two weeks. How many oh. trains passed over it that time? Uh, well, quite a few. No, there were no trains over it. Was, it was over the railway. Oh, right. And the thing that really concerned me, and it still gives me cold sweats in the night when I think about it, is that it's quite a deep cutting. It's the main line to Brighton. There's a tunnel a quarter of a mile away trains were coming out of that tunnel at 100 miles an hour if they'd met a pile of bricks they wouldn't have had time to stop they would have hit it at 80 90 um, so but that that is the only time that I've gone to a bridge and said this really has to be closed so what is risk oh gosh that's <laughs> So there are, there are two separate things that are dealt with in engineering terms. There's risk and hazard, right? So what's the chance of something happening? What's the risk? What are the implications if it does happen? So um, there's a risk in walking under this bridge that a brick falls out. If a brick fell out and it fell on my head, it would kill me. But the risk of the brick falling out is very small. The risk of it falling as I was going underneath is tiny. The risk of it falling on my head is vanishingly small. Um, so it's just not worth thinking about. You multiply the one number by the other and you get an answer which says you take it into account or you don't take it into account. Do you think you're more willing to assess and think about risks because you do that in your working life? So 
if, if there was something that, that is a risk in your life, for example, do you think you're more willing to sit down rationally and weigh it up and decide whether it's a risk worth taking or whether you can avoid it? Because oh, I'm sure I am, yeah. 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 Except when the weather's bitter, I bring my Brompton to London because getting around London on a Brompton is much quicker. nicer in many, and quicker <laughs> and things like that. You cycle in London? Yeah. It's you, a risk. You cycle in London? Yeah. See, I wouldn't. I'd never cycle in London. I'd look too scared. I have yeah. a motorbike, but I wouldn't cycle. <laughs> and that, I, realize I probably wouldn't ride a motorbike. Statistically, <laughs> that may be wrong. But subjectively, yes, yes, I would feel safer on something like this, which is. Yeah, those aren't the safest motorcycles. No, either. actually, it would say possibly not that one because that's a scooter. <coughs> you wouldn't ride one and, of those, and would I, you? I don't. I, I find it weird not having gears, to be yes, honest. Yes, yes. <laughs> but in principle, yeah, if yeah. it's got a motor, I feel safer. Mm. And not um, having something between your knees that you can grip onto when yes, you're... Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. Which, again, is probably irrational, but th- th- that's that's mm. how I feel. Yeah, because there is a subjective element as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm not saying that I'm not subject to... I was just thinking about the driving thing, right? So you were saying that there's something subjective about riding a bu- motorbike. But driving a car, people say, no, I don't like going on a bus. I like to be in a car where I'm in control. You're not in control in a car. <laughs> You're surrounded by lunatics who are trying to kill you. <laughs> now, that's a bicycle. In a car, you're in a metal box surrounded by lunatics who are trying to kill yeah, you. Yeah, but the, the metal, big difference. But if, the, if you fold the metal box around you, if the, if the lunatics fold the metal box around you, it's still big trouble. That control thing is important, though, isn't it? It's, it even though... Again, even those two, and I think that was... But it's completely logical. Yeah. Yeah? Well, it's, well, it's logical. The risk of going by train is microscopic compared with... Yes, it is, but it's, it's illogical in mathematical terms. But in, in terms, I think what we do is we imagine ourselves looking back and thinking, could I have done anything about that? And if there was something you could have done but you didn't do then you think you'll regret it more. Mm. Do you think that you carry, having worked for so long in looking at structures and working out whether they're safe to stay up and so on, do you carry a different attitude to risk into your everyday life than other people do? Yes. In all sorts of different places. I mean, I, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm going to die. Isn't uh, that just that it comes to us all? Yeah, it comes to us all. Uh, the question is when and how. And so 20 years ago, my pancreas fell apart. The surgeon said, I'm not going to cut your pancreas. People die when you cut their pancreas. And then after six months, he'd got me more or less better and I was saying I feel fine he said well you may feel fine but that's got to go that's got to go after that no more mention of danger I'm going to have to cut out half your pancreas and I was really impressed with that attitude that I'm not going to do it unless I have to but now I have to Let's let's get on with it and it was quite interesting lying on a trolley going to the thing saying this guy said I might die when he does this (laughs) <laughs> and the engineering cuts across absolutely everything I do, always. A few days later, Bill got back in touch to say he'd been thinking about that last question. How does my engineer's understanding of risk impinge on my everyday life? Well, 
I guess that needs an example. My wife was first diagnosed with MS in 1974, just before our son was born. By around 2000, her brain was starting to fade. Turned out in the long term, it wasn't just the MS, it was vascular dementia. Um, in 2002, I got a very severe bout of pancreatitis, and that led to me having half my pancreas out, which in turn eventually led to diabetes. And the diabetes grew, and I had to um, deal with it with insulin. <coughs> but keeping it under control was tricky because my pancreas was sort of half working. Um, and I was conscious of the fact that low blood sugar was an immediate threat, high blood sugar was longer term. And indeed, low blood sugar would mean that I couldn't drive. So if your blood sugar is below four, then you have to take glucose to get it above four and then wait 45 minutes before you can drive anywhere. And Sue was regularly afflicted by infections and other things that led to me having to whisk her down to A and D at fairly short notice. So I had to balance the risk of having high blood sugar sometimes um, against the risk of suddenly having low blood sugar when I needed to take Sue somewhere. And my decision was that I took that risk and I ran a bit high. And when I discussed that eventually with the consultant, she said, well, actually, it isn't that important. Your blood pressure is more important. If we keep the blood pressure under control and you keep below 10 rather than below seven and a half, you should be fine. Um, and I was happy with that. Thanks to Bill Harvey for his personal and professional insights into risk. That was Timandra Hartness Takes a Risk. The music was improvised specially for the podcast by Johnny Best, which is in itself a risky process. And I'll be talking to him about that in a later episode. If you liked the podcast, I'm doing a live show at the 2019 Edinburgh Festival Fringe called Timandra Harkness Take a Risk, which is mostly a chance for the audience to play with me and with Lady Fortune and for me to have very little control over the direction the show takes every day. You can find out more and book tickets at takeariskshow.com. It's on at the Roxy downstairs at 11.15 every morning throughout the Fringe. Thanks for listening. Come back and listen to some more episodes. And if you like it, tell your friends. Thank you.